Well, it's my privilege uh, this morning to bring the last in our series, as you've heard, uh, in its Hope series, and uh, we're in First Thessalonians, as you know. And uh, well, Monica and I give Craig a bit of a hard rap sometimes about giving us the hardest passages, um, but actually, what it means is that he's he's got good delegation skills, and all good leaders need good delegation skills. But it's also a privilege to uh, to be able to bring those uh, passages to you. So. Last time I was with you, and Monica reiterated that we've moved into the last part of this book where where God is speaking through Paul to these people, and he's saying, here is what it means to live out these things that I've been telling you about Jesus, Um, and here are the things we want you to continue on with. He's encouraging them. Come on, keep going. Uh, It's part of this urging of the believers to pass uh, or to press on in the life and behaviors and conduct in which uh, God desires for them and is consistent with their call in Christ. Now, we also are getting that pressed upon us as we read this, I hope. Uh, And I hope it's not just another sermon that that passes you by like that. And uh, as Monica perfectly unpacked some of those difficult um, passages last week, uh, this section of Thessalonians brings us uh, to contemplate the end. What does it mean to stand in contemplation of the end? Not just death here, but beyond, um, as a spur towards living in the life that is now. It's Jesus' resurrection means that life is transformed here and now, not just there. Okay, That's where we're trying to lead you to, and I think that's where Paul's taking us. So this morning, um, the message is going to be called, Awake in Christ. Wake up in Christ. Uh, And I hope we uh, get there with you this morning, lead you into that place. Um, What does it mean to live on the certain foundation of Jesus' return? What does it mean to live on that certain foundation, fully alive and awake in him? Let's pray. Father, it's good to open your word. And it's, Lord, we we gather underneath that word this morning. And we pray as we open it and as we reflect on it together, your spirit would speak and do as only you can do to hearts and minds to bring transformation here and now, not just at the end, Lord, but here and now, living hope here. And so we just ask, Father, you would do that by your Spirit this morning as we gather. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to be reading uh, from 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 11, um, but I'm actually doing it from the message version of the Bible. Um, I love the way that Eugene Peterson, uh, who was, by the way, a biblical linguistic scholar, um, brings life to some verses that can be quite confusing. And there's some confusing pictures, as you'll see, um, as you work through this in your own Bible, if you want to follow me, um, some pretty confusing things in there. And so I think one of the things he does really well is bring some clarity to those pictures. Um, I generally use a message version um, alongside my NIV or NLT or whatever it is, just to help me uh, reflect in some of those difficult times. So um, if you want to, you can follow on the screen, but um, feel free to follow in your Bibles. So, verses 1 through 3. I don't think, friends, that I need to deal with the question of when all this is going to happen. You know as well as I that the day of the Master's coming can't be posted on our calendars. 
He won't call ahead to make an appointment any more than a burglar would. About the time everybody's walking around complacently congratulating each other, we've sure got this made, now we can take it easy, suddenly everything falls apart. It's going to come as suddenly and as inescapably as birth pangs to a pregnant woman. And all the ladies said... Verse 4 to 8, but friends, you're not in the dark, so how could you be taken off guard by any of this? You're sons of light, daughters of day. We live under wide open skies uh, and know where we stand. So let's not sleepwalk through life like those others. Let's keep our eyes and our eyes open and be smart. People sleep at night and get drunk at night, but not us. Since we're creatures of the day, let's act like it. Walk out into the daylight, sober, dressed up in faith, love, and the hope of salvation. Oh, it's good, hey? Here we go, verses 9 to 11. This is such good verses. God didn't set us up for an angry rejection, but for salvation. By our master, Jesus Christ. He died for us, a death that triggered life. Whether we are awake with the living or asleep with the dead, we're alive with him. So speak encouraging words to one another. Build up hope so you'll all be together in this. No one is left out. No one left behind. I know you're already doing this. Just keep on doing it. <laughs> I love those verses. And, and there's a good reason why I like going to the message, because he helps us to make sense of these pictures. A few years ago, um, we decided to take the family on a holiday to visit Deb's sister. She lived in Malaysia. Um, and I don't know about you, but if you've ever tries, tried to wake kids up in the middle of the night and take them anywhere, it's... It's almost impossible. So we had this flight was leaving, like we had to be there at three o'clock in the morning, something ridiculous like that. Um, and the, is the issue we had with this early flight was waking up the kids. Um, now, my kids are like zombies in that state. So as other parts of my family. Um, but trying to get them awake, you think, oh, this is going to be a nightmare, you know, crying, and hey, then again, you've got to find stuff, and then you've got to get to the airport on time, all that sort of stuff. Um, but it was to my surprise, uh, that um, they almost leapt out of bed. Uh, there was no groggin, groggy, drunken state where it was tears and snot that was me and Deb. No, they'd been more alert than we were. They had their shoes on, they were standing at the door with their bags, um, almost willing us to hurry up. Um, and if... Like most of you, I, I think I'm like most of you. Uh, I thought to myself, how can I emulate this during the week? <laughs> they were fired up and ready for action as soon as their feet hit the floor. Here's a second picture. Um, in my last church, we had a number of pilots who um, served in our Air Force, the New Zealand Air Force. Yes, we have an Air Force Americans. <laughs> Yes, I can count the amount of functioning planes on one hand. Um, and you really couldn't call them a force. 
Anyway, um, in our home group, we had a couple of these guys that would uh, fly all of these three planes we had. Um, and, and they were only allowed to be about a 15 to 20 minute journey from Fanuapai Airport at any time. They were on call all the time. And uh, they had to, um, you know, there's a couple of these guys in a home group, they had, their phone had to always be on and be charged. If the phone call came, uh, they would literally just jump up from whatever they're doing, they're off, but like a fireman. Um, and they would uh, rush home as quick as they can, and uh, they would grab their grab bag, they had this, this bag that's permanently set up in their home, uh, they would get in whatever outfit they needed to be, and within 30 minutes of that call, they had to be sitting in the cockpit and getting the engines fired up. Okay, And they could be gone from anything of around 12 to 24 hours to two weeks. Just like that. Who wants to be in the Air Force? <laughs> um, and it happened a whole lot more than they, they wanted it to. Um, they had to have this constant state of readiness, of being prepared, of being ready any time that call was made. You see, the Apostle Paul is calling the Thessalonians, and us, I think, not to lose their sense of attentiveness and urgency of the faith journey. Come alive. Wake up. Stand ready for the things that are coming. And just like the kids who are prepared to jump out of bed, excited for their journey, or the pilot who's ready and expectant, we get this clear sense to be prepared for any eventuation. And just like my illustrations, there's, a, there's an air of expectation and anticipation. Not just it could happen, it's, it's going to happen, and so I'm ready. Um, <laughs> we must be always ready for this on our faith journey. This is because, as Monica explored last week, Paul had this group of people who believed that within their generation, they were going to see Christ in his risen form before them. They believed within that generation, and this letter is written in about possibly 60 to 70 AD, they were sitting there going, well, Jesus died and he told us he's going to return, so where's the, where's the rider on the white horse in the clouds? And we have had, over the years, plenty of people through book and film try to explore somewhat hilariously uh, the dynamic tension of when and how the paralysia will be inaugurated or the end will come. So this is a simple vision. It's a reminder that the time doesn't matter, but the assurance and expectation of his return does. And we have a very clear tension going on in the minds of these listeners who believed he was coming. It's like they were feeling that they'd had the old bait and switch done on them. You told us it was coming, and, and Paul's saying, hey, 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 Jesus is coming. Live expectantly. What they don't get, uh, I guess, a bit like us in some ways, is the fact that they are in this dynamic tension, that, that Jesus' life and power isn't just an end of the earthly life deal. It's very much the life and power of the here and now. Amen? The theological term for this dynamic tension is inaugurated eschatology. Okay? 
And uh, it's more, un- more easily understood by the words now and not yet. There's a whole bunch of things about who Jesus is, the power of the Spirit, and what God is doing here and now, but there is so much more that is yet to come. And we've got to sit within that tension. Um, Jesus had ushered in a new age, and the believers in Thessalonica uh, are just only just being awoken to that fact somewhat abruptly. So how does this play out in today's world? What does this now and not yet look like? How many of you know someone who's so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good? There's plenty of them. Um, These are the people you can hardly get an intelligible word out of because they aren't sure how to live Jesus with people. Uh, Their head's firmly in the holy clouds of condescendence. Jesus is everywhere in the leaves, the wallpaper. Um, these are the kinds of people uh, that um, <laughs> I, I, I struggle with, to be honest. Um, we all know one or two of those types, and at the appropriate time, uh, you're looking around this room and you're thinking, I know some people in this room. Let me just say something. Don't get caught staring at anyone this morning when I'm explaining these things. <laughs> Eric will not be impressed with me having to do a bunch of counseling with you all. Um, but I think you know who I'm talking about. Um, they're all about the now. Jesus has come fully. Let's get our spirit fingers out and start healing. Let's, the name and claim it types, you know, these kind of people. There's a second group of people who firmly sit in the not yet camp. And uh, <laughs> also slightly special people. Um, they're somewhat cynical about anything to do with the church. Charismatic gifts, the work of the spirit, There's no miracles here and now. Jesus began what he will end when he returns, and everything supernatural died with Jesus and will return with him. There's nothing going on. Um, If they were a character in a book, I think they would be Eeyore or Rabbit from Winnie the Pooh. Theologically, it's always raining. Okay. Hopeless. It's hopeless. And what we and the Thessalonian believers need to be okay with is a tension between the two of these things. Um, um, One of my lecturers, Laurie, he always talked about two-stake theology. You put one stake here and one stake there, and you hold the tension between the two. Why? Because God is here. He is present. He's doing miracles. He is, but he's not fully here yet. That's to come. We've got to work in a world with that tension. And Paul is working with people in that tension here in this passage. And for me, it's about the urgency of the faith journey. We must hold well to what God is doing here and not yet. God is here and now working and moving by his spirit, and yet we will see him fully in his glory when he returns. Now, some sit more comfortably at one end of the spectrum than the other. Uh, It's about leaning into those things when we need to, I think. Uh, But there is generally a lack of urgency. We, in the Western world, like to sit right in the middle, where it's quite comfortable, where we don't get pushed too hard. And we love it because we don't have to kind of worry about anything urgent. We don't have to be anticipating the next thing or to be expectant. 
So Paul explains what a life that clearly can't live in this tension looks like and does well. And he says, it's in the darkness of complacency that we find ourselves when we lack urgency. He's talking about dark and light. People who are living in the light live in this urgency, this expectation. Those who live in the dark are asleep, are drunk. One of the profound historical um, elements that are at play here is um, those who he is talking to in um, Thessalonia. Uh, they are under what they call Pax Romana. It was the, the Roman peace which existed for uh, four or five hundred years. It's a historically significant element. Why? Because, I mean, you just need to go back to the Old Testament and you look at how the world was. Who would want to live in that world? This tribe doesn't like that tribe. They're just going to wipe them out. See, the Roman rule created this kind of bubble of, of comfort of, hey, it's all good. You know, we'll just wait. You know, we don't need to worry as long as we're under Roman rule. Wasn't totally true, though, was it? It was pretty rough existence to live under, but it was better than just the marauding few coming through and taking us out. And Paul is speaking to a culture of complacency that existed due to that Roman dominion and power and over the known world at that time, until the Roman Empire and the world was relatively safe and stable. And Paul describes this, the state that they're in, as sleep and drunkenness. And two times times where your circumstances have you at a vulnerable state because you're so relaxed, you're so contented. He's saying, when you do that, when you're not expectant, when you're not anticipating God to do something, that's when the roaring lion finds you. One of my favorite Baptist preachers, uh, his name's Charles Spurgeon, he has this great quote which kind of makes sense of this for me. He says, there is no temptation half as bad as no temptation at all. You sort of think to yourself, hang on a second there. That makes sense. There's no temptation half as bad as no temptation at all. Complacency. Complacency is what he's talking about. Where there is no suffering, where there is no persecution, where there is no testing, where there is no being pulled to and fro, we get complacent. We sit without tension. But isn't that exactly where we find ourselves? in New Zealand society, pretty generally. Our comfort and ease of life actually lulls us into a bit of a sleepy existence. One where a society like the Thessalonians wanted to live in and lived in, we're blessed, we, we kind of have great jobs, there's peace and ease, you know, our homes are secure, we live the Western society dream, we want the quarter acre section. Asleep in our faith. Not that any of these things are negative or evil or in or of themselves. It's, it's more about where we end up in them. Asleep. What do I need Jesus for if I've got everything I need? Most of us got pretty shocked out of our mortal minds when the horrific events of Christchurch unfolded. Why? Because this kind of terror is harder to ignore when it happens in your own country. 
let alone your community. Most of us are shocked, and rightly so, at domestic violence statistics, divorce rates. Within New Zealand, um, I'm a part of a working group with the government at the moment through the Baptist churches, 200,000 children do not eat properly or have adequate shelter or provisions in their life. This is in New Zealand. The less I know, the better. Yeah? Then I don't have to be troubled with reality. We're complacent. We're falling asleep. Willful ignorance isn't a possibility for us as Christians. We can't pretend to not see what's going on. If I just lock myself away and plead ignorance, then, then I'll just rock through life unscathed and, and just enjoy the ride. Often it isn't because we're lazy, but because life has never been bumpy. There's been no significant bumps in our Western existence. And Paul's saying, wake up. Wake up. You're being sucked into that space of the darkness of complacency. I want to briefly address those in the room uh, who are older than 60. Ooh, careful. <laughs> we have within our culture a value that actually when you get to 65, put your feet up, life's done, you've done your hard work. The problem, the problem with that, right? The problem with that, and generally speaking, we will all do that because that's what culture tells us, and we're like, whew, rather do nothing. But we sit in this tension of knowing that actually at no other time in our life have we been more financially free. At no other time in our life have we had more ability to uh, spend time. At no other time in our life have we um, ever had the freedom that we have now. Paul's plea is, don't opt out. I've done my bit. But never in your life have you been so free. And what do I see happen uh, in the message words? It says, everybody's walking around complacently, congratulating each other. We've sure got it made. Now we can take it easily. And suddenly, everything will fall apart. Heck, my mother-in-law at 67 decided she was going to ride her bike the length of the country, and so she did. Caprianga to the bluff, without a battery on it, by the way. <laughs> These people flying past me with their battery bikes. <laughs> yes, it's so easy. Where has our world and the comfortable existence lulled you into the darkness of complacency? Sucked you into the quarter-acre dream that doesn't need Jesus. We don't belong in the darkness of the night. Paul finishes this section with a bit more upbeat kind of words. He talks about living into a hoped-filled existence. What does that look like? He says, God didn't set us up for angry rejection. We're alive in him, says verse 9. There's a guy called Leon Morris, and he says, Salvation is not an abstract theological concept, but an experienced reality. 
appropriated in the present life of faith. How are you doing with a hopeful existence? And Paul consistently reminds these Thessalonians and anyone else who will listen that hopeful living, hope-filled living and being awake in Christ is the highest priority for them. God's new world has broken in upon the sad, sleepy, drunken, deadly old world. Jesus and the Holy Spirit are the new world breaking in on the old. And Paul's words say to us, this is about mutual responsibility. To encourage one another out of our complacency into a life that lives a hopeful existence. And when you dig a bit deeper into the Greek, what they call present continuous imperatives are present in there. Paul uses three of them. It's saying this is the way of life that should be habitual. This present continuous life. Do it. Live this way. And this is the call to press on with resolve and determination of living in that tension, but fully awake in Christ. And there's a reason why I'm loving having a bunch of Americans on our staff. Um, uh, <laughs> I think it's fantastic. Uh, they know how to do positive, right? Anyone got American friends? They know how to do positive. Us Kiwis, Eeyore, that's what we are. If you've spent 10 or 15 minutes with Monica, you know, you come away with a smile on your face, you're uplifted, right? Kyle introduced a brilliant idea a few weeks back to our staff where we're going to take some time to speak life and truth into each other. And we'll find uh, some things to um, complement and encourage each other along the way. The Kiwis were like, Whew. who employed this guy? We're so not a build-up culture in New Zealand, are we? Heck, we, we wouldn't want anyone to get a fat head, start gloating. We wouldn't want someone to be slightly higher in the social pecking order, just cut them back down to size a little bit, you know, let's just get vanilla again. This isn't hope-filled living people. Sadly, we've become a culture that thinks it's our mutual responsibility to keep ourselves from getting on our higher horse. That's the Kiwi existence. Hope-filled living expresses itself in the personal sacrifice of comfort and self, and it gives of its overflow. So I want to ask you this morning, what does hope-filled living look like for you? Maybe it could be as simple as forcing yourself to, to make two real compliments to someone this week and not just your family members. Maybe it's a work colleague. Maybe it's someone who needs it. It can be that simple. It might mean trusting God with your finances. Maybe God is calling you to step out of your comfort zone and, and give some energy and experience and your free time it's one of the many areas in the life of BBC that needs volunteers. I invite Tina and the team to come and lead us this morning. And as they do, I want you to ask yourself that hard question or two. Don't switch off. Don't run to the cafe yet. The Spirit of God wants to speak. And I want you to be vulnerable with God.
Let him put his finger on those things that have led you into the complacency of darkness, on the darkness of complacency. Let him say, here's where I'd love for you to live a more hope-filled life. Let him put that finger on that button. Maybe that person who just needs to sit with God for a bit, be shaped a little more by the potter's hands. Are you awake in Christ this morning? Let's pray. Would you stand with me as I pray? Lord, we don't willfully walk towards those spaces of ignorance. Lord, we're drawn there by our complacency, by our comfort, and in a world that shapes us that way. I want to pray this morning as people open their hearts and as they're vulnerable with you, that you would speak into those places. Lord, as they, as they do that, you would gently lead them. I want you to live a hope-filled existence that transforms your community, that transforms your home, transforms your workplaces. I want you to live that. I believe that's what God wants to say. So open yourself this morning. Be vulnerable with him and allow him to speak to you by his Holy Spirit. We welcome your Holy Spirit. Come and speak.